It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Still a killer riff after uh, 20 shows. I am not bored with that yet. 20 shows. We've made it to 20. 20 shows. And not canceled. Because you, oh, you can we do it as upped. we were never up. <laughs> That's true. You can't be canceled if you haven't signed, signed a contract. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're deep into this now. We've been doing this a few months. All right. Joe. John. Question for you. Okay. Question for you. Dream guest. If you could have, and this has to be plausible. It has to be somebody that if we look back in six months or a year, we actually get that guest. So mm. this isn't one of these, who would you have, you know, at, at your favorite dinner party and it'd be Jesus and Hitler and JFK and, and Abraham Lincoln. I don't know. I just, <laughs> so, so dream guest, if you could have somebody here on, on the second cup of Joe and John. I because of today's that we could talk to him right now any in the anywhere in the world I think anyone is plausible and um that's such a boring answer. It happens every once in a while and I want peace our, on earth. Our guest Ben Henbeck uh it's his favorite band so you'll know where I'm going with this. Oh. I would love to interview Bono. Um he is just an interesting guy. I love the spiritualness of it. Um, and his songs are just some of my favorites uh, that just can bring you to tears. And I, I have just about all the U2 catalog and I have some that are my perfect. Ben's favorite album was the Joshua Tree, which has to be up there at the top. Uh, but he's just tremendous. And he's the kind of guy that the next thing you know, he could be standing in the room with you. I mean, We're going to work on that. that open. I'm not saying that's not possible sure. because we know people that know that's people that I mean. know people that know him. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if they look at all our, you know, diagraphics, our number statistics. <laughs> what am I trying to say? Our stats. Our stats, you know, to go, well, that's, you know, you know, Mr. Bono will only do it if they have, you know, 5,000 listeners, uh, downloads a day or something. I don't know like that. I think so. he'd like us because we're the underdog. That's the way we'll oh, stay. We're, we're a lot of things. We're always the underdog. We're scrappers. Yeah. You never picked us. The point spread was 15 and we still beat you. That's us. Okay. I we're like Appalachian that. state a little bit mixed with, uh, who else? Wonder dog. There you go. No, that's underdog. You said underdog. Underdog. I was thinking wonder dog. Wonder dog. Underdog had the ring on his finger where the pill would pop out and he'd take it. And I always thought that so was So he's a weird. drug addict. That's what that's I thought. I did not know that. You take he a was pill. A, he was addicted. Has he, gone through rap, has he gone through rehab? That's Just, back when Sammy Davis Jr. was singing the candy man. The candy man can. Because he's, you know. he's always <laughs> delicious. I can't remember the, the words of it. God, we have gone way off. Underdog. We are, we're not losing turn four. We're losing turn that. one. Watch that. I'm, I'm going with. Uh, a, a guy that grew up here and I've, I've really gotten fast, just addicted to his comedy. He's a clean comic. His name is Nate Bargatze. Does okay. that mean anything no, to I, you? I, oh man. I he heard is I love so funny. At and, Zanies? Oh, he, he does all that. And I don't know if he's played the Ryman. He's like, I think we can get him. Uh, Justin, our producers is, is, can, do you think we can get him or you just love him? 
Okay, that doesn't help us. Okay, love is not going to make this thing happen. Okay, I love my coffee, but we're going to find somebody and and uh, and we'll get him. He's somebody that you clearly would have had on during your 105.9, the rock days when sure. somebody from Zanies would come in and and play, and you, you'd be able to interview them. You had, like some of the comics you interviewed, like everybody, right? Well, that was my favorite part. Um, we Zanies yes. forget Stairway to Heaven. It was. <laughs> It I've was, got, I've got, uh, uh, Chris Rock on or somebody. I don't every, know. Bill Burr was one of my favorites. I know oh, Bill, yeah. Bill Burr when he was just a club comic and he was uh, tremendous. And so we always had a thing with Zany. Zany's is the local comedy club in Nashville. And, you know, we were all doing it to, they would buy time and we would have every comic. They would come over mm-hmm. and do a thing. And all, all of them were great. All of like, them I feel have like five every, minutes. All of them yeah, have a do. good five minutes. And then whatever happens. But uh, Bill Burr probably talked to me for about 20 minutes and it was just tremendous. So I'm all about having comics on here. They're just a great talk. They can get their message across in their funny way while still taking shots at everybody around them. That's that's kind of like what we try to do. (laughs) Yeah. So so those are our dream. But I will tell you what. We got a heck of a guest today. Hit it. Hey, we know people. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. In 1996, at the age of 30, Matthew was sentenced to 35 years for selling drugs and related offenses. Over the next two decades, he completed more than 30 Bible studies, became a law clerk, and mentored many of his fellow inmates. Now Matthew is the very first person to be released from prison under the First Step Act. Matthew, please. His name is Matthew Charles. Two first names. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. They could, kids couldn't decide. And uh, yeah, Matthew Charles, look, we talk about inspirational, motivational uh, topics. Uh, th- the man at, next to us in our room here at, at first at uh, Main Street Media, uh, an extraordinary journey. And when I say extraordinary, you easily think, well, that everything must be loaves and fishes and everything has gone well. I, I doubt you will meet or hear another man um, in, in recently, or maybe ever in your lifetime who has had a journey quite like this. And if you love the comeback story, you're going to absolutely be enthralled with the next few minutes with our guest, Matthew Charles. Thank you for being with us. All right. Thank you, John and Joe for having me. Yeah. He's looking, going, what have we gotten ourselves <laughs> he into? Great. He's got his, his suit coat on shirt. He looks a haggle. He's a lot better dressed I think than we he are. He's getting more than just this. Yeah, we we overpromise, <laughs> underdeliver, which is which is pretty typical. What we like Matthew is is a guy that uh, that you may have seen in in national news. Uh, his backstory um, is remarkable. Uh, growing up in North Carolina, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, being arrested in 1996 in Clarksville, Tennessee, on what were the charges? Of possession of crack cocaine, selling crack cocaine. Okay, and sentenced to. 35 years. And you served? 22 years. And you got out the yes. first time? Okay, I served 21 years and five months, and then I got out the first time. And then what happened? 
Uh, I was out for nearly two years because the prosecutor appealed my release. And then I was ordered to go back, self-surrender. And I turned myself in in May and went back an additional seven months. And then after then, President Donald Trump signed the First Step Act and I was released again. That is the short version, but that gives you a sense of what the heck this guy has gone through. When you told told me Matthew's coming on, I first saw you at the State of the Union address with President Trump. And I'm like, oh, I know that guy. And then the math subtracted of uh, Kim Kardashian has a tie to you uh, of helping folks who are falsely or overly incarcerated for the charge that you were arrested for. The punishment was just triple of what it probably should be. So that's what it came down to. And uh, it was an amazing story that uh, first you got out of prison and uh, discuss how it was like to I'm free. Oh, but now I'm not. I have to go back. What an absolute mental crush that had to be on your soul. Uh, It certainly was because once I had uh, got out in 2016 and during the period of my incarceration, I had done uh, everything possible to better myself, uh, not for any outward rewards, but because that was the new person in Christ that I had become. So once I was released from prison in 2016, uh, like you just said, you know, I was, you know, very happy. You know what I mean? Expecting to carry on with my life. And then I found out that the prosecutor appealed my release uh, because he wanted me to go back and serve an additional 10 years that I still owed on the sentence. But the law between crack and powder cocaine had changed in 2010 which meant had I been sentenced in 2010, I would have been able to be free. But it wasn't made retroactive uh, to me. So he appealed my release because Judge Kevin Sharp, uh, federal judge here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, he granted my release. And the prosecutor appealed it, and he actually won. It was like 22 months later, uh, I heard from the uh, Federal Court of Appeals that I had to return to prison. But what was unusual in that same order, they also remarked about how outstanding my rehabilitation was and how my conduct was during that period that I was released. And they stated that uh, their hands were literally tied, too. They didn't say that, but that was written in code. And they was like, but you should file for a clemency or pardon. And actually, once I was ordered to return and self-surrender, we did contact the White House for a clemency and pardon. And that's how I became introduced to the uh, President Trump administration. Uh, So much to unpack here. So many other questions, so many layers. But I know people are saying, did Joe say Kim Kardashian was (laughs) part of this saga? How did that happen? Uh, Once I was ordered to go back, uh, the Tennessean uh, NPR, uh, Julie Martinelli, they all did a story. And once they did the story, it just blew up. It caught wings. Uh, everybody's heart was moved for two reasons. Uh, one was the fact that I had done so long uh, already. 21 years. 21 years and five months. And it clearly showed that uh, during that time of my incarceration, I didn't have any incident reports, which are write-ups for getting you know, in fights or being disobedient. I didn't have any of them. And a lot of my other achievements during the time that I was incarcerated just showed that I was a model prisoner. Then the fact that I had been out and I had found a job, I had found a place that had ripped me a vehicle, and I was actually volunteering my time and services in the community, and I had a church home, so I was doing everything that you would want a returning citizen to do once he came back into the community. And the fact that I was there for 22 months and 
my probation officer at that time spoke very highly of me and was surprised himself. Uh, even the judge who actually ordered me to go back because the Court of Appeals ordered her to send me back. She even, you know, weighed in and was like asking the prosecutor, do you really want to send this guy back? Really, is this the best use of your time? Uh, exactly. How old were you uh, those 21 years being incarcerated the first time? Uh, you were how old? To how old? I went in at 29 and I came out at 52, 51, 52. Rewind to that era. What was your life like that you were selling drugs and it's in Fort Campbell? I mean, are you selling to the military base? Are those people tapping into that? Uh, at the time, especially, it's funny because that's a new question for me. Most people <laughs> don't even ask me that one. Uh, but what had happened was I was living in Clarksville, Tennessee. I lived in Clarksville, Tennessee from 1992 till 1995 when I was arrested. And of course, I was a drug dealer and I was selling to regular people and clients. But what had happened to make my case go federal was there was a sergeant on Fort Campbell, Kentucky, who lived in the same community that I lived in. And I didn't even know he was in the military. Sure. You know what I mean? He drove a uh, red Jeep. You know what I mean? We called them red. He hang, hung out at some of the places we did. So once we found out that he was actually in the military, we was all surprised. But what had happened was he had got busted himself and on Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And once he got busted, he got threatened with uh, 99 years uh, if he didn't turn in his supplier. So he ended up calling me and he got me on the uh, phone on the wire. Yeah. Wow. And what was, I mean, spiritually, your life, what was your life like that? Were you living in Clarksville by yourself? Um, you know, folks that get into drugs, it's generally a downward slope. They start with something and things are falling apart and maybe it's a quick fix to make money and they don't feel that they can do anything else in life, but this is working real well. Just talk about maybe how that started in your life and where the slide was. Cause maybe, you know, for other folks, it could be booze, it's gambling or whatever. It, it, it's a source that once you start in it, you get too deep and now you're ending up in a bad way. Yes, that's exactly what it was. It was a source of income because uh, I was actually born and raised in North Carolina in a, a very abusive household. Uh, actually I escaped uh, that just by joining the military. And once I went into the military, because I didn't have a right perspective on following orders, you know what I mean, or positions of power, once I served my uh, term, I just got out. Uh, that's one thing that I regret. I should have actually uh, re-enlisted and stayed in there. But once I got out, everything just started down spiral. And slowly but surely, I became a drug dealer, you know what I mean, due to the fact that uh, that's what was being done in my communities of color. Uh, I lived in a housing project at that time. And I just, you know, joined in with everybody else and I started selling drugs. And then from there, the money that's associated with drugs, uh, it just continued to cause me to be more interested in that. And Easy money. Easy money. Quote. Yes. In and, air quotations. Yeah. And, and a very easy trap because once you're doing it, you're not looking at when should I get out? Common sense would tell you. You shouldn't have been doing it from the first place. Let me state that. But common sense uh, will tell you that you also need to get out. So you own this. You own what you did. You make no apologies for that. Oh, absolutely. None whatsoever. I shouldn't went to prison. You know what I mean? I actually broke the law. I was a drug dealer uh, at the time. Now, like Joe stated, it wasn't like a sentence of three to one. It was a sentence of 100 times to one. Because at that time, you received 100 times greater a sentence for crack cocaine than you did powder cocaine. Since then, that has changed to 18 to one. We're trying to get it now to one to one. And there's actually legislation that was passed in the House, uh, U.S. House, 
with the overwhelming majority. As a matter of fact, most uh, representatives and senators say you can't even uh, pass something for the uh, post office with the numbers that it passed. But it's been held up in the Senate and hopefully it will sail through the Senate, whether it does it in the um, uh, before they go out, because I think this is their last week uh, or it just happens in the lame duck session. But hopefully we get it passed before they uh, leave, because if not, uh, sorry to say it may still stay at 18 to one instead of one to one. The voice of Matthew Charles and Matthew, I still got to keep going back to this. Um, I'm just thinking of this 21 years. I mean, we get stressed out if we can't uh, over a month get something. We done. think the pandemic and being oh housed gosh, in our own I home was for a month. the worst and, and so forth. And, the, and the, yeah. So psychologically you're in prison and you know, I think it was originally 35 years you were mm-hmm. supposed to be there. So what is it like a day in the life in prison, mentally, psychologically, you know, physically, you're just going through the motions. Uh, but where are your thoughts every day where you just don't get so depressed? You don't care. What is it that motivates you to have hope and look forward to the future? It's funny, Joe, because prior to me being incarcerated, uh, I hope I don't, you know, offend any of the listeners. Uh, I didn't believe in God uh, because of the way that I was actually raised. You know, my parents, uh, like I say sometimes during interviews, uh, I've been whooped or beaten with everything that you can even possibly imagine and stuff that you think would have broke bones. You know what I mean? I survived. So I didn't believe in God because he never came and rescued me or my siblings or my mother from my father's abuse. So once I actually got arrested, on this federal offense and was in the county jail, a friend was there that I knew and I didn't know that he had a Bible, went to church or was a believer, period. But once he had got his sentence and was leaving uh, to be taken to the institution he was going to be at, he left me a gift bag, which, you know, he passed his possessions on to me because he couldn't take them. And then that it ended up being some toiletries and also uh, a King James Version Bible. And I read the Bible. I read it as a book. But slowly but surely, I ended up, or should I say, (laughs) the powers that be ended up touching me, and I ended up becoming a Christian believer. So to answer your question, Joe, once I went into federal prison, I went in as a Christian believer trying to learn about this new faith, this new way of life that I had never even heard of or formerly didn't even believe. And then once that took place, I just was incarcerated. My mental state was... I got to learn as much as I can. I got to deal with what's before me. I'm not going anywhere. So I just did everything I possibly could to better better myself. Physically, I went out to the rec yard, walked, ran. I came out in pretty good shape (laughs) Uh, when that came. But uh, (laughs) Sounds like you're kind of proud of that. You're like, hey, I I, I can post here (laughs) and hold my own. You got nothing but time. What do you, you got to get in shape. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, because at that time, uh, the laws weren't changing in regards to uh, crack cocaine and powder cocaine. So uh, they had changed for some other offenses and some others had left, but uh, not me. So I was just doing what was necessary to live behind bars because prison can be a violent, well, it is a violent and it is an ugly place, but it's really what you allow while you're there. So well, just- the, the things you did, Matthew, to rehabilitate, rehabilitate yourself, to to be a mentor, talk about, all right, here's my plight. They're not change. This is not changing anytime soon. I can either give up or I can better myself. You, you were a model prisoner. And what does that mean? 
Uh, in other words, that means that I did my time. I didn't disobey the rules. I didn't get in fights. I didn't disrespect the guards or the staffs. Uh, and I did everything possible to try to better myself. And one thing was, it's funny because I actually, as I stated, I graduated high school and I had my um, honorable discharge certificate. But at the same time, they were telling me that it's not documented that you uh, have your high school diploma. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, uh, like that. So they ended up telling me I had to take the GED test. Right. And I was like, I don't need to take the GED test. I have a high school diploma. <laughs> then they ended up telling me, well, if you didn't, you're going to get locked up in the hole. So I took the test and I actually passed significantly to the point that not only started believing me, but they came back and asked me what I teach the GED classes. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up. That's, in a, that's a turn of events. <laughs> you went from damn near in the hole <laughs> right. to to teaching others how not to get in there. Exactly. Wow. And I ended up being a GED tutor for several years. And then I became a law clerk for several years. And I just, like I said, mentored people and done Bible studies and just anything that I can possibly do to better myself. Can, can you teach Joe the GED, by the way? But before we leave, can you, Joe, no, you have your GED. You have what? <laughs> oh, I'm just I is a student. <laughs> the story's very deep. Matthew Charles, uh, go ahead and Google it. And you, when you're listening here and you can find out more about this, uh, Matthew Charles served 21 out of 35 years, released and then put back in prison, which caught the attention of Kim Kardashian and President yeah, we got to Donald. Get, yeah, we got to get back to Kim. Well, I'm going to go above that one. President Donald Trump, when you went to the State of the Union, uh, let's talk about that experience. Did you get to meet President Trump? Oh, yes. Before we even went over to the State of the Union, I was able to uh, go over to the White House and meet First Lady Melania Trump and President Donald Trump. And the thing that kind of is surprising is because once I first got, re no, no, got released the second time, uh, I was out for nearly about a week and a half. And then the lawyer called me and that had actually uh, did my paperwork to have me released under the First Step Act. So she called me and she was like, the White House is trying to get in touch with you. And it didn't register. You know what I mean? And then she was like, Yes, the White House is wanting to know, is it okay if they, they can have your email and your phone number? And I was like, yes. And then when I contacted the White House, uh, I, they was like, well, President Trump want to extend a hand and give you, uh, you know, allow you to come to the uh, State of the Union as Melania Trump's guest, his wife's guest. And they was like, do you want to come? I'm like, yeah, I want to come. You know what I mean? Let me think. Uh, of, can, I, can, I, can I sleep on it? Uh, <laughs> but uh, think of the irony in it is that you're born in North Carolina to not much means, an abused child. Uh, you end up being a drug dealer. You end up yes. going to federal prison. And now you're in the greatest, highest spot there is in the world. Of, and let's take politics much. aside from this. Oh, it's yeah, just but, right. any man, any woman, any person yeah. that is invited to the White House tremendous. and to be part of that ceremony and, and, and that speech and so forth. What, uh, what about on then to the end of that point of you're an army of one. You, you saw in prison that you could rehab, rehabilitate yourself and build strength. And just what opportunity, even when you're down, uh, speak to those who are down, you can make a comeback. You're never out of the game. Yes, definitely. The fact is that oftentimes people become depressed, people become suicidal because uh, they don't look past today. You know what I mean? You got to think about the future. You got to think about you know, a lot of people have children, they have, you know, relatives or they have parents that may still be living. And you got to think about them sometimes whenever you don't even think about yourself. You got to go on for them sometimes when you refuse to go on for yourself. So there's things that you can actually do to better yourself while you're incarcerated. Of course, you made a mistake. 
You don't want to be judged by the worst mistake that you ever made, but it depends on what you do from that standpoint on that allows people to be able to continue to judge you based on your actions today. Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. I don't think we have any Matthews. We Matthews have been just trumped. Just no pun intended. <laughs> we got. I think we continue with Matthew's story. So uh, surreal to be in the White House. And uh, is Donald uh, as tall as you thought? Oh, he's way taller okay. than I thought. I didn't even think he was that tall. What about that hair? Uh is he or is it his? I mean, it's real. You recap, uh, just reach out and touch it. Yeah. <laughs> as a matter of fact, it was funny because as I first walked into the Oval Office, where we were sitting behind the desk to go up and shake his hand uh, like that, because that's what, you know, the guests that were uh, going to the State of the Union that he invited were doing. And when I, as soon as I hit the opening of the door before I even crossed the threshold, he was like, I know you get in here, Matthew Charles. And that just blew me away. You know what I mean? Because once he stated that, my fear and everything about me being a felon in the White House, now meeting the president himself, you know, just kind of like subsided a little bit. He was like, get over here. And he shook my hand and uh, he was one of the first people, you know what I mean? Some people like it, some people don't like it, but he's one of the first people to say, you're going to do great things. Good. So I appreciate it. That, that, yeah, that had to be surreal. Oh, yes, sir. Well, the whole process probably of getting to the White House, in the White House, the Secret Service, Yes. Um, I've been around that a little <laughs> bit. It, it, it's quite a process yes. from when you just get there to when you're actually walking in. And it, it's just, a, it's kind of, it's just a, a great, it's a great arena, isn't it? Yes, it is. And so the Kim Kardashian yeah. connection, What's let's keep that? putting that. You keep wanting to talk serious stuff. <laughs> I went, People are like, give me the Kim dish. <laughs> did you ever meet Kim Kardashian? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. I was able to meet her. Uh, but what it took in place was once they ordered me to go back, uh, to prison, uh, the news media had, you know, heard of my story. Uh, Kim Kardashian caught wind of it. She started asking the White House to grant me uh, my release or uh, clemency, uh, you know, clemency or either a pardon. And from that standpoint, she started to be uh, an advocate for my release. Mm -hmm. And then after I was released, I fell into a situation to now I'm homeless again because you just locked me up for an additional seven months and I had to give the vehicle back, uh, which I kind of hurt my credit a little bit. I had to also uh, surrender all of my possessions and things of that nature because I thought I was actually going back for an additional 10 years. So I had given everything back and also had to express to the job that I was working while I was returning. So I had nothing and then I was released and then I had the ability to be able to go around and speak as a criminal justice reform advocate. So I was making some income, but nobody would rent an apartment to me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. of my felony background. But they were still keeping my deposits sure that I was were. putting down yeah. for these different things. And then the Tennessean actually did a report on it. The fact that, you know, these three different uh, landlords or these three different rental agencies were denying me. And here it is that I had been, you know, released the second time, was kind of known, uh, had been invited, you know, as a guest to the State of the Union, but I can't even rent an apartment. And so Kim Kardashian ended up contacting uh, Tim and Tim Hardiman, who's a friend of mine, and said that she would vouch for me and pay five years of free rent for me if any landlord would take the risk or a chance by, you know, uh, giving me a place to stay. She tweeted this, and this is how this whole thing went viral, by the way. I mean, she didn't, like, call a news conference. I mean, 
you tweet, you, you, right. you, you can air, you, you control the narrative. Right. So she puts that out there and this thing just goes nuts, right? Yes, yes it does. And that's what opened the door for me to be into the apartment that I'm in now. Great. And what did she, was she there when you moved into your apartment or where did you all meet? She cooked no. the first meal, I think. <laughs> she, and she, yeah, she made sure on. that there was a, a mint on the pillow uh-huh. and, and, uh, and, and it was a rocking party <laughs> that, that night too. No, I don't, I don't know. But uh, where did you meet her though? In person? Uh, I actually met her. She was at, uh, I want to say she was having a second chance agenda at the White House where we were speaking about uh, the workforce and I met her there. As a matter of fact, we were there and that's the time that she had uh, also uh, communicated to the media and everybody that was there that she was in partner with Lyft. uh, I think it was Lyft to provide uh, transportation and rides for formerly incarcerated people so they can get to their appointments and job interviews and stuff like that. And then I met her there and it was that was surreal as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's great. It was meant to be, wasn't it? Uh, yes, I thank God for it. Absolutely. Let's move on with... Joe and John have come to The Fork in the Road. <laughs> so many forks. You have a whole table of forks, Matthew, where, where you made a decision what to do or not to do. And we've kind of chronicled what happened to to have you incarcerated and so forth. Um, I I don't want to lead you down a, a road, a fork, but, uh, I am intrigued with, uh, the time that you heard you were going to have to go back and, you know, you have this faith, you have this belief, you've rehabilitated yourself. And then you're told you're going back and you think you're going back for years. That had to be, I have to decide mentally to accept this and fight through this and still have hope or all the cards are against me. Or you can pick another fork. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) But, But I just find that like you're doing everything. And then they're still wanting and the prosecutor still wants you to serve your full time. Yes, uh, that's correct. And at the time that I was told that I had to go back, it's funny because uh, I had a pastor. I'm not going to. You keep uh, saying it's funny. Nothing's funny. Yeah, so you're right. Sorry. You're right. I, I love your back. attitude, but I'm like, <laughs> I can't wait till you get to the punchline. <laughs> oh, okay. But yes, this pastor had told me, he was like, uh, if you want to go to Mexico, but he was joking. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he was like, this is not just, you know, unheard of. This is not right. You know what I mean? And he, well, he was joking when he made this statement. But I was like, no, I'm going back because they gave me a date to self-surrender. You know what I mean? Because they had seen what I had done the previous 21 years incarcerated and nearly the two years that I've been out to the point to where the judge actually trusted me to turn myself in on a certain date. And that's what I was going to do. You know what I mean? Turn myself in on a certain date. First off, thank you for being so gracious that we drag all your past out. Uh, but let's fast forward to where you sit now. Yeah. Uh, talk about what what are you where are you working? What are you doing for a living? And what's your family situation like? Uh, I currently work for an organization called FAM.org. Uh, it's a national criminal justice uh, organization out of Washington, D.C. They've been in existence since 1991. And what we do is, as an organization, I'm a policy assistant there. So what we do as an organization, we try to 
help remove bad laws, get legislators uh, to remove bad laws, to improve laws or create, you know, better ones. Uh, one thing that we've noticed uh, and I've noticed by being incarcerated, but what the organization has noticed uh, itself is that sometimes it doesn't take a person receiving a sentence and doing every day of that sentence before they come into their common sense. And because of that, we believe that uh, rehabilitation is of great importance uh, for someone that's incarcerated. We believe that rehabilitation should be uh, kind of like the key to whether this person has been showing that he is able to return to society. And a lot of times the people, you know, they want to take away the rehabilitative aspect of incarceration and just leave it at incapacitation. Meaning the judge give you a specific amount of time and you go on to serve that time and you come out whether good or bad, that was your sentence, you come out, we don't care. But what that does, it raises the recidivism rate. It allows somebody that goes in and not to even do anything, you know what I mean, to better themselves and they return to their communities and they be a burden again and commit another offense, another victim and be reincarcerated. And you, uh, you, along with working with that nonprofit out of Washington, you started a nonprofit, Tim Hardiman, who is a dear friend of mine that I worked with at Channel 2 for many years. And um, I've got to say, when I saw the Tennessee article and I saw Tim involved, he's he's got the biggest heart. He's one of the funnier guys ever, right? Yes, he is. Uh, he's short, but funny. <laughs> uh, and and for him to kind of take you and, and try to own this story and help you uh, to find a place to live in Nashville. So, yeah, let's fast forward to you just got your uh, 501c3 papers, which running a nonprofit profit is, is, uh, you know, everybody has a good cause and a good heart and they, well, I want to start, you know, and we all work in silos and there's already 35 of them doing the same thing. You got your 501c3 papers. What's the name of the nonprofit? Upward Mobility Foundation. Upward Mobility Foundation based in Nashville. Yes, it is. And the mission statement for that is what? The mission statement is we want to provide housing and transportation for formerly incarcerated people uh, that necessarily don't have family or friends or anybody that they can stay with so that they don't get out, reoffend, and go back in because they're homeless. What When you walk out of prison, what do they give you? Well, when I got out of prison, the only thing I received was a bus ticket and the commissary money that I had on my account. Uh, in the federal system, they don't, well, you can get up to a certain amount, but uh, most case managers challenge you and try to give you the less amount as possible for your release. So oftentimes you just get out with a bus ticket and $50 or a bus ticket and $100. And I know Nashville, uh, the Ditmas House was one of them. Not sure if that's still in action. There are organizations that help that transition from life of the incarcerated to getting you out in the real world. And Men of Valor, I think is another one, right? Men of Valor is yeah. another. And jumping that speed bump of having that prison record on where you just don't get kicked out of the system right away. Uh, I mean, that's that's a pretty elaborate system. That's, that's a pretty elaborate gap to go from prison back into real life. Uh, yes, it is. And the fact that what the organization that would actually do it would actually give these people an opportunity to uh, stay there for 18 months as they work out in the community uh, to save money and be able to put down a first month's deposit as well as pay the rent and be able to have a great start. You know what I mean? A better start than I was given a better start than most are given. Uh, the thing about the halfway house is sometimes you got to qualify for the halfway house and you can only stay like a certain period from 90 days to six months. Sometimes they give you 30 days like that. As a matter of fact, I was released the first time into a halfway house uh, because I had served 21 years and five months. And during the time that I stayed there, I was able to 
uh, work with the organization called Project Return to help me find the job. And I'm very familiar with the Men of Valor. It's a great program. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, you know, I, I know some of those men and uh, they, you know, doing a great work. This, this is heavy stuff. Matthew Charles, I think it's time we, we lighten the load a little bit. What do you think? Questions? We try to prep our guest with some of the segments, and this is the one I think Matthew is horrified about. <laughs> he can talk deep about his, his life and get heavy about that, but... Oh, the rapid questions, the rapid fire questions. He had to listen. I know. So this is going to be really interesting. This is fun. The sweat on the brow is coming. Easy. This is, this is easy stuff. Go ahead, Joe. I got one coming up, Matt. Uh, We we like talking music. We like talking Nashville and obviously the two go together. What, what, what are you listening to now? This is all just your personal for fun. What kind of music you like? Uh, I will say that I'm eclectic. I like anything from blues, gospel, R&B. Uh, I like country music. I like uh, some jazz. Uh, so I'm eclectic, but right now I got a couple some blues songs playing. What's what's in your CD player right now? It would definitely be <laughs> uh, a blues, and it's King George. All right, good. That's a first. What is a? I feel this is so disingenuous to ask. What's what's a pet peeve for you? Uh, a pet peeve for me is oh that's going in a second time that's probably going to be one of them but uh, you know that that's such a stupid question no, it's for not. Matthew it's a great question John but everybody has those little things little, little things that that kind of bother them no butter for your popcorn now a pet peeve for me probably is just the people that get behind you in the uh, roll when the light stop or stop sign and they blow before you can even put your foot back on the gas pedal. You know what I mean? To continue again, they just hit on the horn because they didn't want to stop anyway. Nine out of 10 pet peeves in this studio are, are car or driving related. Yeah. Related. Uh, Matthew, a uh, question we always ask someone and boy, it fits you. Well, what advice would you give your 18 year old self? Uh, I will get my 18-year-old self to re-enlist. <laughs> Once your turn is re-enlist. And what you're saying, too, is that, uh, you know, the bad element can swallow you up. So uh, a lot of folks that have kids and stuff, that's always their first guard is, you know, please just don't go crazy. But sometimes a bad circle is a bad circle. Yes, it can definitely swallow you up. Uh, you know, we always say that there's two places that you know, most people that sell drugs are going to go. That's either in the prison or into the graveyard. Okay, no segue here. Favorite meal or favorite restaurant? What do you, if you just, you know, need something, man, I I feel like that today. Uh, My favorite meal is meatloaf, mashed potatoes, green beans mixed with corn and rolls. Uh, My favorite restaurant, which I stated (laughs) uh, back when I first got out, and it has changed a little bit, but it was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm. Just KFC. Yes. You get the original recipe or the crispy? The original. Ah, me too, babe. Yep. Mm, coleslaw or green beans? I do coleslaw. Oh, I got green beans. Oh, okay. Mashed potatoes <laughs> and gravy, of course, right? Yes, correct. Oh, I love the KFC. 20 bucks for a bucket, though. KFC's prices are insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh, latest book or audio book or something that, that you've listened to or something that has left an impression other than the King James Bible. <laughs> Clearly, do you do much reading or do you just try to keep keep up with current events? I know you've been very busy building this nonprofit. 
Well, I read a lot of, uh, I want to say, not necessarily. Romance novels? No, no, not, okay. necessarily, not necessarily books, but yeah. like online things talking about criminal justice reform, mm -hmm. what different states are doing. So I consume my time reading, you know, on Google, looking up different things in nature in regards to that. Give me three influential people in your life. Three influential people. I would say definitely my friend Tim Hardman. Uh, and I'm not just saying that yeah. because John's a friend of his. Uh, due to the fact that, you know, like I said, I come from uh, a place where I was in despair. And Tim came out, I want to say in 2017 or whatever, to the place that I was volunteering at. And he didn't know me. He had just heard about the fact that I was ordered to return back to prison. And he came out and he asked me about the story. He didn't even let me know who he was till after the fact. And he just asked, you know, he was like, I seen your story. And he wanted to ask me about it. And then once we actually started talking about it, I come to find out he's a good person. He has a beautiful family and he has a good heart. So, you know, influential. He's also helped me, you know, from day one, once I was released the second time. Another person that's influential to me, of course, we're going to say Kim Kardashian, uh, because I'll still be homeless and maybe homeless after the fact. No, I hope, hope not, because uh, I don't know if they're going to, you know, renew my lease or allow me to still be able to rent an apartment. With and you're family. still in the same place. Yes, I'm still yeah, in the good. same place. So I would say Kim Kardashian West. And uh, my other uh, person of influence is, uh, I hope I don't sound like cliches, but it's Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, and the reason I state that is because he had the foresight to see or hope for better things, even though what he was going through at the time, day for day, didn't seem like that that would ever happen. You got to wear shades. Love to kind of wrap up the podcast, Matthew, with... Uh, some some motivational, inspirational <clears throat> deals where, you know, your future is so bright, you got to wear shades. And um, it goes without saying that uh, when I explained to Joe that we were able to get you on for this podcast uh, via Tim, uh, that I said, this this is going to be uh, transformational for us to, to, to hear your story, to have you be so... Um, uh, I don't even say articulate, just, it, it's just, I'm just shocked at how, I don't want to say forgiving, but um, the bitter pill, I, so many people probably heard the story and go, why is he, he, you've not oozed one ounce of bitterness. You, there's ownership, there's, it happened. And I'm fighting for those people that are 20, 30, 40 years younger than me that, that are put in the same situation or have been in the same situation. So what 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 words of advice? What what give us a day brightener as we leave here? Uh, things can be better. Uh, your future don't have to be the same as it is today. It really depends on what you do today, and so that would be the deal. Right, everything's not over. Sometimes you got to look beyond yourself. As I stated, you may have siblings, you may have children, you may have a spouse or somebody that you know is relying on you to make it through whatever it is that you're going through, so that you can be here tomorrow. And what we got to do is, especially to eliminate the suicidal rate and the depression state of somebody, is think beyond ourselves. There's always hope. The name of the uh, the website or, or how can people learn more about your new nonprofit? Uh, they can go to Upward Mobility Foundation, uh, org, or they can go to Upward Mobility Foundation at gmail.com. You you're amazing, uh, Matthew. Um, you've been broken, punished, humbled rejuvenated 
And uh, may God bless you and keep you. And may God make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. It's just an amazing story. And I think your best days are ahead of you, the people you're going to reach. Amen to that. If you, uh, if you want, if you miss that information, uh, second cup of Joe and John at gmail.com is a way to get a hold of us. We don't probably plug that enough. If you have any questions, sure. comments, yeah. uh, reviews, critiques, uh, 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 sponsor opportunities, we kind of bury that too. So, uh, but wow, it means to take a, an hour of your time here and to have people hear more about your story. I know they around the edges, they've kind of heard about it, but to see you, you look great. Okay, uh, and and we will do anything we can do to to help you further your mission. So consider not only Tim, um, you are very kind about him, by the way, because he's kind of a creep. And no, he's a sweet, sweet, sweet man with a with a wonderful daughter and 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 uh, and wife. But uh, consider Joe and I advocates for you if there's anything we can do, uh, which is probably next to nothing. But uh, we, we'd love to help out, right, Joe? We just did. We told a story. And that's all. It's ever the life is a story and passing along that story because that's how others learn to maybe not go down that path or what to do. Yeah, you are yeah. a good, good Thank egg, you. my friend. Thank hey, thanks for being on the Second Cup of Joe. And John. It's the Second Cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John.